Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's recording is going to be a really interesting lesson around really trial and error a little bit around different methods to achieve outcomes around process and how to lead with process in order to better achieve really remarkable outcomes. It's about innovation. It's definitely about, you'll see a big theme, which makes me smile around neuroplasticity and really not just neuroplasticity, but targeted neuroplasticity for real outcome that transfers, whether in game, in the boardroom, or even, you know, on the battlefield. So, you know, very, very excited to have somebody with us today who has great experience in the world of neuroplasticity. And what's kind of unique about him is he doesn't come to us from the area of research at a university or a lab. He comes from really the lab of life. And that's something that I really respect about John. Today's guest, his name is John Kennedy. John is the president of Combat Brain Training, is somebody who really has worked with top-level professional quarterbacks to CEOs in the boardroom to military personnel and everything in between, trying to help those people to harness the opportunity and the process of neuroplasticity to really translate and improve the individual's capacity to make positive change. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure, this is awesome. It's so good to be on here with you, Mark. So, John, where we met, for our listeners here today was actually, I believe, in Dallas, Texas at the American Academy of Rehabilitative Medicine Conference. And, you know, we were two people kind of in this neuroplasticity space that immediately kind of connected around that, around that concept, if I recall. Is that, is that right? You remember? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're connected because, I mean, all those people do such amazing work, but it's mostly research. And talking to you, we were practitioners, right? We actually help people, you know, using their research, but we are involved in the day-to-day work of helping people recover. So in a sea of research, we were kind of like the boats flighting <laughs> that kind of connected. <laughs> well, and we need the research. It's so important. So to all the yes. researchers listening, we love you. And, you know, we need you to continue asking great questions that can ultimately translate into better outcomes for people in need of good research and good programming. When we look at your bio, I mean, you're a guy who's done a lot of different things. I mean, if there's one word that's you, it's eclectic. You've kind of done a lot of really interesting things. So is there anything I missed in your bio that you'd like to add just a little bit more for context? Well, the only thing is that it's eclectic because I've always been driven in really trying to solve problems. And that's what got me into the consulting. And then what I developed there is what I applied to the brain. And so It's always been kind of trying to find a consistent process that solves problems and then applying it to different things. So to me, innovation isn't necessarily creation, but adaptation. Something works here, you adapt it somewhere else and you keep, you know, tweaking it and making it better and better and better. So that's pretty much everything from business to military to athletes to kids. They're all different. But to me, it's the brain that we're working with and improving. So to me, it's kind of the same. Yeah, absolutely. And so many people out there just, they hear this word neuroplasticity. It's one of those words that you look at and say, okay, how do we spell that one? But really what we're talking about here, how would you define that word for our listeners? 
Well, you know, it goes back to, so when the Marines gave me my contract, I needed to learn about neuroplasticity fast. And Norman Doidge's book, The Brain That Changed Itself, was such an important book for this whole field. And he defines it as everything we do, think, and even imagine changes our brain. And, mm-hmm. and so what we realize then, that's an important concept that people need to realize. That we actually do some work with helping people change habits very quickly using these principles. Because whatever you repeat is what, like Aristotle said, you know, what you repeat is what you are. And that's what happens. So that's kind of the basis mm-hmm. of it. And it's just a capability of our brain. It's how we apply things to that that we get the results. I love it. No, that's so true. And I think for people listening out there, just remember, John has seen this firsthand himself. And again, from a wide range of people that he's worked with, the brain can change throughout a lifetime. Like It's absolutely possible of it. And I like the Aristotle quote. It's so true. So if you're working on doing things, you know, the sorts of things that don't challenge your brain to change and improve, well, then your <laughs> brain won't change and improve then. That's right. That's and, right. you know, the odds are that's not going to do anything. But if you're actually engaging in the sorts of activities, therapies that are challenging those particular areas of the brain that are responsible for other tasks, much like in physical performance and rehabilitation, we will see that performance change, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The key is a type of stimulation the way it is. One of the things I've found over the years, which is a little different than most approaches, is I don't ever try to fix anything, right? Mm. What we do is we want to stimulate the brain to do what it needs to do to be successful. And the brain will rewire around damage. It's incredible how plastic and malleable our brains are with the right kind of stimulation. I love it. So true. And I mean, you and I have talked about this and it's great to see you again. You know, <laughs> here, you, here you are in Chicago, Illinois, and here I am in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and we're able to have this conversation. Yeah. And my hope here today for the people listening, you know, as we talked about, John, these can be people who may be recovering from any sort of brain trauma, or these could be people that work in this space. These could be <laughs> occupational therapists, physical therapists, physiatrists, psychologists, psychiatrists you know, people who run a rehabilitation center yeah. really want them to understand today from your clinical experience about what can be possible. And I think one of the best teaching ways to do that is, is there a story that you wouldn't mind sharing, obviously <laughs> protecting identities of something that really was surprisingly good in terms of what you saw, well, perhaps maybe earlier in your career? I got tons of stories, Mark, about some of the people that we've been able to help has just been incredible. So originally it started out in the military contract me because they want to reduce casualties in combat, right? So the initial purpose of the program was to improve intuition. So you could sense danger, not get mm. blown up and so forth. But then we started to th- the guys coming back with brain trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder in the same program were making remarkable recoveries. And I'm continuing to stretch. I mean, right now, and a lot of people I work with are people that they, the medical community can't necessarily help. And so I always take it as a challenge. And the results have just been incredible, too, probably that just blew me away. A young man with cerebral palsy, he couldn't use his hands very well. But, you know, we stimulate the connections from the brain out to the external parts of the body as well. So a college kid, right? Great kid. Like three weeks after we started working together, he sent me an email and he said, hey, John, for the first time in my life, I can open a bottle with a bottle opener and a bag of crackers without crushing them 
pretty useful skills for a college kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then oh, two yeah. weeks later, he texts me, what are you doing in my head? I have a 4.0 average. I've never done that well before, right? Because the brain processes better. And another young woman I'm working with, I'm so impressed with, severe amnesia from encephalitis. And yeah. the prognosis was she might never be independent. And then after just a few weeks, her husband excitedly texted me what her doctor said, which was basically he thinks she might be able to be independent in a few months because we're rewiring the brain, her life's changing. She works real hard at it. And so and I could go on and on. A young woman with a concussion fell out of a tree. They thought she was in a coma and now she's singing again. I mean, just it's just incredible. I love talking with you because there's so much more we can do. And, and it really does, to go back to research, it really does start with asking some of the right questions, which right. sadly, I think a lot of the times we're not in this space in particular. Yeah. You know, one of the ones that gets me, and I've actually not talked very often about it, but this was a kid and you knew that I came from the education sector first yeah. and then into this. He had uh, damaged right prefrontal cortex at birth with a forceps. And it kind of wiped out some of the right prefrontal and into, you know, more towards the midbrain of the cortex as well. And as we know, a lot of kind of emotional regulation and control um, can be stored in that particular region. So early on in his life, I think the family was sort of told, as I recall, that, that you know, it's going to be very challenging for him to process emotion and these sorts of things yeah. because of the damage, which actually is logical. That makes a lot of right. sense, I think. Right. However, he had worked with a really innovative speech therapist and I think OT early on yeah. and all the way through his education. Well, I mean, his emotional regulation maybe was not necessarily at the same range of his peers. However, he could, you know, function somewhat much better than what they had anticipated because of the therapies that had been in place for him. Right. And, you know, it was even suggested, as I recalled it, that he may have to be institutionalized in his lifetime. Now, I think this was done with good intention to not set unrealistic expectations. Right. However, this was exciting to me about this conversation today with the advent of, you know, more accessible neuroplastic right. systems and programs. We have the opportunity to explore those options prior to reaching those sorts of conclusions. Right. Right. And that's the thing. You get, it's thinking outside the box, right? As you said, the brain is so incredible and there's so many different things. Really. That reminds me of a young man I work with. He was hit head on by a semi, very severe concussion. He was in recovery in Chicago, one of the best places for rehab. And he reached out to me after about three months out of a year program because a friend of his, one of his attorney buddies who I'd helped recover from a concussion from lacrosse, he reached out and he goes, John, I'm so frustrated because I'm not making a lot of progress. I have me writing sentences and doing these things, but they keep comparing me to normal. And I don't want to be normal. I want to be exceptional like I was before. So that really appealed to me because, and I understand why they have their normal baseline. And as you said, they don't maybe want to get hopes up or whatever, but he made incredible progress after about three or four weeks. He had to take a neuropsych test to get his driver's mm -hmm. license. He aced it. And they told him he didn't have to go to day therapy anymore. He just did incredible recovery which is what we want, right? When people are trying to come to, especially that have had damage and they remember what their life was like before, they don't want to just get to function, right? They I want to get that. back to, you know, an exceptional life like they had before. Well, that's a clear distinction that one of my colleagues who I worked with on the clinical side named Josh had mentioned is in the, in the kind of the learning disability side. And you're talking about standardized assessments. For some kids, we would see pretty significant, you know, valid, normed and reliable cognitive changes, which was like, 
amazing. Yeah. However, the child never knew any different. They only knew their baseline right. deficit. Right. Right. However, for someone that may have lost function and have yeah. that sense of loss and grief over that function, but also that intrinsic motivation to yeah. get more back to where they were before. And right. one of the terms that one of the people I worked with, she coined that I think is beautiful, is to reclaim some of what she's lost, which yeah. means like almost a level of possession to get right. some of that back is wonderful and motivating for me because when I see and you as well, that's why it's good to have this strength and collaboration yeah. is that what frustrates me and motivates me. And I don't want to speak for you, but I'm pretty confident you too, is when some other professionals out there say, nah, you know what? There's not much we can do at this point with this particular dysfunction when they haven't yet exhausted yes. some of the neuroplastic potential. Now, if you've tried that, so be it. Like, right. that's okay. Sometimes that's the way it is. That's the way it is with anything. But I feel like it is irresponsible yep. Yep. to yep. not explore those options. And it's not okay because now we've got peer-reviewed journals out there. We have professionals like yourself. We have good organizations doing this work. And I feel like there's a level of responsibility yeah. on the stakeholders to explore some more of those options. What do you think? I don't know. Well, no, absolutely. The ironic thing is this young man, he was so excited to have me talk to his neurologist. He wouldn't even talk to me, right? Because, you know, it's not in his wheelhouse and he doesn't right. you know. But the thing about that, you know, one of our neuroscientists Northwestern here, who's very helpful. I've had several that have helped me with the research, understand what I'm doing here. She said, one of the problems with traditional research approaches is that it's reductionist in nature, right? That's how you get your funding. Let's find this one small thing that might make a difference. Let's make it better. And oh, great, all our tests show this is better. But they did a five-year study on stroke treatments, which I thought was fascinating. She said, regardless of the severity of the stroke or the intervention, after about six months, all progress stopped because they're only focusing on one small area. And the more holistic, right? Even your program, you've got exercise, you have mindfulness, all these different aspects coming together to target the brain in so many different ways is much more powerful because the brain will change to do what we're asking it to do if we're asking it to do the right thing. Totally, 100%. And I think it's something that you and I approach these things differently. But I have great respect. That's the thing. I don't fully understand it. I've, I, and I think it's vice versa. However, oh, yeah. at the top of it, it's mindset of, well, okay, why don't we try through good science to try to understand how to further the outcome? Because when I think about other you know, therapies related to other conditions, let's say it's MS, let's say it's, it's a certain uh, form of cancer, let's say it's cardiac issues. This is widely accepted in cardiac rehab and pulmonary rehab. These are accepted things. Even in physical rehab, we're seeing it. And I think cognitive rehab is the next step. And I don't know what you think, but I think in the next 10, 15 years, you're going to see this, which gives me great hope for the future. But what about now? Well, and the thing that's so tragic, I mean, there's expression, you know, what is 17 years? Well, that's how long it takes, you know, for research to get useful. In the meantime, the people we work with, they want to get healed now. They don't want to wait for some research to trickle all the way down through funding to try something new. If something works, you know, let's, let's work with it. And then let's just build on what works and make it better. I love it. And, and, and that's the thing that I really, I've always appreciated about you. You know, it's very much an approach that I don't know at all, but I'm trying to better understand how to leverage what I do know to have a positive effect on those for which I serve. And that's something that I've always really respected about your approach. 
and yeah, no, it's, there's no question. I really, I really respect that about you. And I think we share that is that, you know, there's a lot, there's so much to learn. And sometimes people on the sidelines might say, oh, they think they figured it out. No, no, no. We're still asking questions all day long, you know, working in this space together. We have our subgroups where we'll call each other. We'll communicate about these sorts of things. Try to better understand, okay, how can we help? And that's the only way we get better. That's why, you know, we're doing this podcast is trying to help to share some thoughts. And hopefully it can be of service for other people in the community now. Right. And give hope to people, right? So the people that are maybe discouraged and they've tried different things, there's always ways that, you know, that we can improve where they are, if understanding that. You know, I was actually very, very fortunate, you know, probably a God thing that I even created this because, you know, I'm a consultant, right? I work on process work, big companies, making process more efficient. My brother came back from Iraq in 2006, said IEDs are killing us, the improvised explosive devices, can you do anything? And I thought, wow, if there's anything I can do to help save lives, that'd be better than making businesses more money. So I'm looking into it and the Marines had an event every year out of 29 Palms, California. And the whole purpose was to bring in any contractor who might have some innovative approach to, to preventing IEDs. So radio jammers and stuff, and so I thought, maybe I'm a process guy. I mean, the military, they got processes down. There's nothing I could teach them in process. But the guys who are leading us around, our guides were guys who said, I started on this one street or one alley. Something told me something was wrong. I went a different way. The guys behind me kept going and they got blown up. Why two Marines, mm. you know, similar demographics, similar training, one has better what we call intuition. And so I was shaking hands with General Doug Stone, the base commander, brilliant guy at the, at the last day. I just kind of got this vision. What if we could do the same thing to the brain that I do for operations and use neuroplasticity as the medium that change the brain to be more efficient? So I got my first contract and, you know, the critical research for me at the time was out of MIT that said robust stimulation will change the brain starting immediately, which mm -hmm. is what I now, but how do you provide robust stimulation, right? So that was the, the big thing. And because it was a contract and I was a contractor, not a researcher. If I didn't produce positive results, I would have been fired, right? It's like, as one battalion officer said, to me, look, you know, I don't care what any tests say, my guys aren't operating better, you're out of here. Yeah. And so that, and that was it. We developed the exercises, we made all these incredible improvements, continued to go through the military, snipers, SEALs, you know, guys as well as guys with, you know, the brain trauma. And then that's when I've been backfilling the research ever since. So the research that I found supports what we're doing, but it was more of a results based as opposed to research-based initial approach. And I think that's why it was effective because I was able to bring in all parts of the brain and I didn't have to follow any protocols. I could do whatever I wanted to. And it was like you mentioned, it's kind of an experiment. Hey, this works. Let's tweak it. Let's make it a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And that's kind of how it. Happens. I love it. That's something that, you know, I was chatting with a friend and it was interesting. You know, he he told me two two things that really stuck out to me. And number one was that great things happen when you move. Yeah. Like great yeah. things happen when you actually right. do something. Because so many people, and when we think about that, even in our work today, you and I, you know, working, building things, helping people, you know, building organizations, it can be easy to sit and think and think yeah. and then think some more and then think yeah. some more yes. and look at your to-do list and then keep thinking about it. <laughs> when really that's actually a hindrance to progress. Right. Before the day, think about what you might have to do and then execute. Yes. 
That's right. And and I like that term that they use in the military, the operators, right? You know, they're they're out there op they're operating, right? They're yeah. getting it done. And yeah. I think that's something that, you know, it's a big threat for a lot of this work is, you know, I I and it frustrates me, you know, I'm kind of tired of it, is you know, hearing, well, this is somebody with, you know, post concussion syndrome. They need to take it easy. They need to go slow. Well, it isn't the if we believe that Aristotle knew a thing or two. Now, of course, if it's serious symptoms, then of course right, right. you have to do that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that once we're in that post-acute phase and we're doing like the Letty stuff, the Buffalo treadmill test, we're starting to look at exercise, you know, tolerance, yeah. that kind of thing. Why wouldn't we try to start improving that? And I think right. it's coming. I do think it's coming. But we are what we repeatedly do. And, you know, the other thing that really stood out to me from that conversation that I've really been iterating on was that options are worth a lot. And when I think about that statement, that one really got me because I'm like, well, duh, of course they are. And then I thought about it. He's like, no, no, no. You know what I mean by this is that if you're a hospital system and you have another option from this MRI to the other three Tesla, four Tesla, that's great to have those options to better understand what we're looking for. If we have this kind of speech therapy, but also this one and that one, that's worth a lot because yeah. depending on what comes in, we have more options and solutions. And currently, there are not enough options for people that have these kind of chronic cognitive challenges. There's not enough options available yet. The flip side of that, that's costing us a lot. That's right. No, it's interesting when you said execute, right? So the basic thinking process that I've mapped out with, there's 14 different cognitive skills that make this up, but break it down, think it through and execute. That's what we need to train the brain to do. And the exercises, basic ones do, they, they, by making decisions very fast and unconscious, we break it down, and, but you always have the execute piece in there, which is critical. Love it. That's oh, so good. We're both pretty positive, optimistic guys. Yeah. Sorry, audience, but I'm going to challenge you on this one. You know, when you think about this world of, of brain health and cognitive enhancement, what's something that really frustrates you about this? And I want to see like the full on John on this. Yeah, well, you know, kind of we alluded to before is the medical establishment. They've invested years and years in going to medical school and you're on this research and they're, they're stuck in this box. Not all of them, as you mentioned, cardio brain, you know, they're doing... But so much of the rehab is just, you know, the same old stuff. You know, let's do Sudoku. Let's do write sentences. Let's do this because they really don't know what to do. I wonder, I'll just tell me, <laughs> frustrated the heck out of me, right? Because, well, we know the brain will heal slowly by itself anyway. And I'm like, well, why are you charging these people then for that if that's the truth? Because my clients would disagree with you 100%. If they can make positive changes so fast, right? But mm -hmm. I think, you know, the medical establishment, obviously, there's wonderful people. I don't want to, and yeah, I but it's like an elephant, right? It's a big elephant that has to move really slow and eats a lot of food and needs a lot of money to maintain itself, where something, you know, innovative and powerful. I mean, so many times when I've tried to work with people, they'll say, well, you know, let me check with my doctor. And I say, no, don't check with your doctor because he's going to say, don't do this. Why don't you talk to the people I've helped? And if you won't talk to them and then you want to do it, let's do it. Because just a, a current client right now, guys recovering from a concussion and they, the hospital wants to put them on this 20 week program to teach them life skills. And I'm like, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But how about we clear up his concussion issues, make them think faster, better, be more focused, 
get his life back while he's doing those life skills. It's a perfect thing. Because one of the things I realized too, Mark, there's so many great programs out there. And what I do really doesn't compete with anything. It kind of just is very complimentary mm-hmm. you know, to almost any other program out there. But it's getting people to just give it a try. I mean, like you're probably the same. We like to work with people that want to improve. doesn't matter 100%. what state, right? You got to improve. As I say, I don't work with comfortable people. Right. If you're comfortable, be comfortable. Right. Uh, No, I love it. I absolutely love that. I think it's a good point because people ask me, you know, well, what's the other option? And I said, maybe one day I won't have to put quite as much effort into this particular cause in this particular way. I'll find another cause. You better believe that. But and another way to focus. But uh, right now, what frustrates me is not even having informed consent of the option. Yeah, you know that that's really what really frustrates me and and gets me so angry because you know I've I've talked to so many people now that have said no I was told after this particular timeline it was you know it was kind of you get what you get well you you want to hand them Norman Doidge's book and say just have a yes. read of this because <laughs> right. there's a lot of different options out there to look at and again what Norman does such a good job of is he's not saying this is the way this is the option. He's saying this is something that's interesting that one might want to take a closer look at. Right. And one of my greatest mentors is Chapter True in that book, Barbara Aerosmith Young, that created yeah, right. this program that we utilize on the cognitive side. And, you know, yes, it seemed a little woo-woo-y to me at the start, but I didn't know very much. That's the truth. You know, there was a lot I didn't know, and there's still a ton I need to learn. And Barbara was way ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah she was the, one of the pioneers. In this. Oh, 100%. Way ahead, yeah, right. 100%. And, you know, she's a huge mentor in my life. Huge. I'm so grateful for her. But without people like Barbara, without people like Norman Deutsch, without people like right. Michael Mersnick, um, right. without those innovators out there, cre- without yourself, creating yeah. new programs that can help people, right. that have the right motivation. Again, the Aristotle quote. So, okay, are you going to accept then? The enemy here is the status quo. Yes. That's the problem. Yeah. We get comfortable. So I I get a plug, an awesome book I just read by Michael Easter. It's called The Comfort Crisis. Mm. I recommend it to everybody. A good friend of mine who I trained when he was part of Special Forces recommended it to me. And it's what happened. We get too comfortable and we don't shake things up. And his whole, his is written from the perspective of a caribou hunt in Alaska and everything, a lot of research in there about all the steps you want to prepare for that. And I think it's a good lesson for all yeah. of us. I, I love that. I mean, I think about the people, anyone who's overcome a significant obstacle, yep. you ask them, how was that? <laughs> it was hard. It was awful. I questioned myself all the way through it. Why right. am I doing this? Can I do this? Is it even right. possible? You know, yeah. but as long as you had that clear goal in mind, they got through it on the other side. Right. And I mean, it makes me think of a lot of kind of the newer kind of stuff that's out there, you know, in kind of the new reimagined stoicism stuff that's coming out there in the leadership and popular culture. You know, the obstacle is the way, right? Yeah. Like that's one of those great quotes, right? right. And, and really, as long as it's a focus towards it, but, you know, that rehabilitation, what's, what frustrates me greatly, oh, big pet peeve <laughs> of mine, but like in physical rehab, I remember when I tore my ACL playing football and the rehab was very functional very hard, very specific, but also rooted in that function. Can we bend it 90 degrees now? Okay, can you get out of your stance now? Okay, yeah. can you make that cross step now? It's all very much function. And then cognitive rehab, what do we say? 
we'll take it slow and hopefully yeah, the brain right, hopefully right, the brain right. will heal itself right. well the brain does heal itself that's true and the brain's way of healing Deutsch's uh, other book love it great brain, book. Yep. great book like yeah. i love this guy amazing yeah. and the brain is so remarkable it does want to heal itself and if we use the right rest and, and the right dosage of the other behavioral things that we can leverage and utilize the brain is constantly trying to heal itself However, once we get through that initial zone, which I think probably, let's say it's post-concussion, let's say it maybe three months, maybe. Okay, what do we do then in week yeah. seven if those right. symptoms haven't reduced? Are we still watching weight? Yeah, right, right. Well, I don't think so. If no, we believe in, again, the theme is Aristotle, right? If we are what we repeatedly do, well, if we're going to no. sit and take it easy. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, you know, I speak a lot. I speak at sports conferences and business conferences as well. One of the things I always try to lead them with is to do hard things, right? You got to choose to do hard things. And that, uh, learn more and more, that applies exactly to the brain of what you're talking about, right? Well, good. I'm on the right track, John. Okay, oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> no, no, seriously, you got to do hard things. Like, you know, hard things physically, it's the same thing with the brain. In fact, my program is based on the progressively accelerated cognitive exertion. As long as our, you make your brain work harder, it's going to change the handle of the load, and that becomes your new baseline. And the cool thing about that psychological perspective is if you constantly stretch your comfort zone, then that becomes your habit, right? That be, your comfort zone becomes stretching your comfort zone. One of my clients, I think I mentioned Trevor Harris, you know, yes. CFO, quarterback, yeah. love that guy, and he ended up in Montreal. He actually helped me develop some of our harder exercises, but he would do that. That was kind of his principle of life. So just one more, one more push-up. You know, one more yeah. minute in the ice cold shower, right? Yeah. One more minute talking to the homeless guy, whatever it is, wherever your comfort zone is, you just stretch it by one more. And then that becomes your comfort zone. And then that's changing our brain, right? Your brain is working hard and getting better. And yeah. It's so good. I always thought he seemed like a good dude. You just reaffirmed it. <laughs> He's a great guy. <laughs> so, you know, when you kind of covered that, you want to plug that book again? Yeah. Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. I've got it right here. I've actually, I've recommended it to so many people, bought a bunch for people. Same it, yeah, it shakes us up. What we just talked about, doing hard things. One of the concepts he talks about there is you have to develop your, what he calls a masogi, which is something personal to you that's so difficult. There's only two rules. So difficult, it's only 50-50 chance of being successful. And rule two is you can't die. <laughs> But when you go wow. through that, all the little stuff doesn't bother you anymore, right? You've that. overcome. And we've all worked with people who've overcome some tremendous mental and physical disabilities. And then someone says, well, you know, I, I, I'm so upset because I couldn't get the show I wanted on Netflix. And it's like, you're looking at you like, really? You know, that's really what you're going to get upset about? So you do hard things and then all the other stuff just becomes easy. That's great. No, thank you for that. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, that's for me too. Not just everybody else listening. So for people that are listening out there, and I think I know you've already hit on some great themes. And this is maybe the start of a, of a couple of these podcasts because I, I think there's a lot more we can dig into. Yeah. What would you want for people to better understand as a main, just a main thematic sort of message around the world of neuroplasticity, around the world of brain health, and really maybe just habit change? What's the main message you'd want people to take home? Yeah, well, I've got a book coming out next week. It's a business book, but my book, writing about brain changing, it's actually called Blow Your Mind, 
an agile approach to hacking your brain in 30 days. And one of the things is about habit. So the main thing is to get control, right? Our brain will, they have to understand that their brains will change whatever they repeat. So you have to take control of that, right? You've got to define the process. And one of the examples I use is when I speak at conferences, I'd say, okay, what's a habit people want to change? And they'll say, well, man, I have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. I say, okay, so what do you do? I hit the snooze button, right? So what you're doing is you're creating a snooze button habit, not a get out of bed habit. (laughs) So what I say is it's not going to take six weeks or 100 days to change this habit. On a nice Saturday afternoon when you don't have to be anywhere, I want you to set your alarm for two minutes, crawl into bed, get as comfortable as you can. But first, you have to write down, write it, define the process that you want to follow. So that would be, and I give an example, right? So I say, so the five steps, the alarm goes off, you get out of bed, that's one. Then you turn off the alarm, that's two. Then you make the bed, that's three. And, you know, and I remember Graven said, Best way to start your day is to make your bed because you've already accomplished something, right? I love it. Yeah. Then you start walking towards the closet or the bathroom, whatever's next on your list. And just before you get there, you turn around and look at your bed and feel good that you made it. That's five things, right? But you define them. So then you go back, set the alarm for two minutes, get in bed and do the same thing. And over and over what happens is it will go from your conscience to your unconscious. So neuroscientists call that a zombie system, right? That might interpretation of a conscious action to an unconscious action so you repeat that five or six seven times and then you anticipate the alarm you've already defined what you want to do you're going to follow your defined habit as opposed to your bad habit and then monday morning alarm goes off you'll kick into zombie mode and you'll get up and do it so i love it there's a lot of ways that we can apply these principles of i call it applied neuroplasticity right applying a process approach using neuroplasticity to every part of your life. And so what they need to know, one, their brains will change from what they do. And two, get control of it by defining the process you want to follow and repeat it. That's how you can change your life. Love it. No, that's, that's wonderful. And I mean, easier said than done for some, but that's why I like your focus on process. It's all about process. You know, you can't just, I mean, you can try and, and maybe you could be successful. But you talk about people just a couple of weeks ago, people were all running, you know, we were finally able to get the Boston Marathon back going. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have that goal of running that marathon. However, one has to train for such an event. Yeah. You don't just get up that morning and run it, <laughs> although some people have. Uh, probably not advisable. You know, you want to become that runner. You want to become that reader. You want to become whatever it might be. It's that you are what you repeatedly do, right? Yeah. And yeah. and. I love what you said about changing those habits. That's so true. You know, like another thing that I can't remember which book it was that I read, but they were talking about that same thing is, you know, the alarm clock. Well, put the alarm clock 40 feet away. You got to get out of bed. (laughs) You know, like that's, that's the start, right? You got to set it up for the challenge. It's so true because what's going to happen. We're rewiring those habits. We're hardwiring those habits. Right. And they're everywhere. And a lot of us aren't very present of them, you know, sadly, you know, and all of us fall into that. I mean, of course I fall into it. Everybody does. Right. Right. And that's what happens. Whatever we repeat, that's what we're going to do. Right. So first of all, you have to desire to break out of it. We talked about that. You got a desire to change. Then you can take control over it and make those changes. No, I love it. So people are listening. We're going to do this again, for sure. This is awesome. They want to get a hold of you. They want to support your work. 
How do we get a hold of you? How do we learn more about your training and your work? Yeah, well, a couple of things. First of all, if they're interested in that whole process approach to things, personal stuff, I'm part of a business book coming out next week on November 10th, and they can learn about it, brilliantbizbook.com. Great, okay. It's designed for small business owners, but applies to everybody. That's coming out November 10th. Okay. And then for me, combatbraintraining.com is my website. It's undergoing a massive upgrade. So there's some information on there, but they can just reach out to me directly. John at combatbraintraining.com is the best way to hold me. And don't forget the brain, right? Some people like combat, it's not combat training, it's combat brain training. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll make sure it's a, it's correct in the show notes there as well. So cool. I just want to thank you again for your time. It's good to see you again, buddy. Yeah, Mark. Good and, to see you. you know, I really appreciate you. And, you know, the other big thing that I um, encourage people listening, go out there and talk to people. Yes. Go out there and talk to other people in your space. Build your own mini mastermind. Build a group. Build, if anybody's in neuroplasticity and wanting to connect with, with even John and myself, heck, we'll meet with you. Okay, yeah. we'll do it. Yeah. You know, we'll set it up, eh, John? And uh, absolutely, yeah. We want to yeah, sure. hear from you. Okay, like feedback is always good. You know, if this episode kind of hit home for you, download it, share it, tweet it, post it on LinkedIn, tag John in it, tag me in it, because I want to see more people get access to the kind of programs we're talking about here. Because I'm sick and tired of hearing that it's not possible when it is. Yep. You got to put in the effort first. Sometimes maybe the result might not be what we wanted. That's life. At least we put forth the effort required to to try to drive some change. But what frustrates me, man, is when people don't even get the informed choice that there's an option. And together, we're going to keep working to change that. So thank you for your commitment to that, my friend. Absolutely, Mark. This has been great. This has been great. Talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and wanna learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so, just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. 
please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.